Welcome to Beyond the Minimum, where we'll be exploring the world of work. We'll be chatting about concepts, ideas, and phrases, explore practices, and delve into what good looks like. Work can be purposeful, value-led, and more meaningful to all who interact with the workplace. This podcast is brought to you by Tanya Hewitt, who lives in unceded Algonquin Anishabe territory, otherwise known as Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. I'm really excited today to introduce you to a wonderful person whom I met fairly recently, actually, and only virtually, as a lot of us have during this pandemic. Her name is Hilda Gon. You'll be able to hear a lot more about her and her story in the upcoming episode, but I just wanted to let you know how we met and why you're going to be hearing from her. She has a podcast. She's had a podcast a lot longer than I have. And you can, again, listen to the episode and get a feel for her podcast. She is part of a podcasting network that I now am part of. So that alone is really unique because as you would know, if you listen to the intro episode of this whole podcast, I had to really work at becoming a podcaster because I listen to podcasts. I don't see myself very much as a podcaster, but it was through that role that I met Hilda. And the two of us talked and um, decided that we were really good fits for each other's podcasts. So you're going to be he hearing about Hilda's journey in her company, iTrans, and she will then introduce her podcast where I had guested on hers as well. So sit back and relax because this is a longer episode than some of the uh, solo episodes that I have done. And I know you're going to get a whole lot of value in hearing how she describes her company, which I think is a healthy company. And these kind of companies need to be vaulted to the highest platform that I can possibly vault them to. And therefore, you're going to be hearing this on Beyond the Minimum. Today's episode is what good looks like. So thank you so much, Hilda, for agreeing to be on our what good looks like portion of the Beyond the Minimum podcast. Great to be here. Thanks for inviting me, Tanya. So Hilda, to start, how about you introduce yourself with the name of the company that you're going to be talking about and what you did there? Okay. So the name of the company that I'm going to talk about is the company that my husband and I founded. Um, I like to say he founded it and I joined him two weeks later because somebody had to pay him. But uh, it's called iTrans Consulting. He's an engineer by profession. I'm a nurse and we started that engineering company with two people and by the time we sold it 13 years later we had 125 people, seven offices across Canada. The focus was transportation engineering. I'm a nurse and I had a lot of background in terms of education and being a manager and a director in hospitals so I knew about policies and procedures. I essentially was the corporate operations side. All the other senior people were building the business and getting the work 
I was the one that was creating that foundation for our expansion, for our, our human resources, for our education, for our accounting and our IT. That was my role. Well, we're going to have a really interesting conversation with that kind of involvement in, in your company. Can you describe the hiring practices at your company? What types of people were you looking for and what kind of process were people put through once they were brought on board? That's a, that's a great question. And I think, let me take it back to having a vision. And, and I believe that's really important. You have to have a vision of what you want and then hire the people that believe in that vision, believe in the mission that you have and those values that you believe in. So we actually had three words that we created. It wasn't at the beginning, but we formed them later. The company's name was I Trans, right? So we, we had a play on the word I. We just had fun with I. And so the three words were insight, integrity, and innovation. So we hired people who had those values. We wanted to create a place where people loved what they were doing and they were feeling that challenge of progressing in their career and they loved where they work. So you take the mission, vision and values. You take those values of, you gotta play nice in the sandbox. These are the people that we wanted. We would involve our staff, so our managers, or people that were working with that person would be involved. So if we were hiring an admin person, an admin person would be in the interviews. My HR person and I would look at all the resumes, we would narrow it down, we would work with our managers to say, here's the ones we are interested in, then we would set up an interview. There was always an HR person there to look at the people side of the fit, and then the manager was looking at the technical side of the fit. And we would have a dialogue to determine, we would do our reference checks. At one point, I actually told this manager, because he said, eh, he's not quite the right fit, but let's hire him anyways. We can always, you know, let him go. I said, no, because this guy was not going to fit. He was, he was like a prima donna, and he would just disrupt this team concept. And he, I tried to be nice and I tried to make it diplomatic, but I knew in the end we would end up terminating this person. So I finally had to veto him and I said, look, I, I, I'm going to have to say no with this because we're just going to end up turning around and, and terminating them. So a lot of people tend to hire people that can fit in right away. Like I want somebody with XYZ experience, you know, but that's not always a good thing because when you hire somebody with that seasoned experience also comes the bad habits. So sometimes it's hiring somebody who's got 70% of what you want, but you groom them, you teach them the way it's done at, say, iTrans, for example. Wonderful. I love how you said values really determined how you looked at hiring practices. That's lovely. Would you be able to describe when things went really well and perhaps when one of your employees had an exceptional performance? We always kept track of things. Each one of, we ended up at the end with 12 uh, VPs. And each one of them was responsible for supporting and mentoring and guiding individual staff. One of the things we looked at was, what is the strengths of these people? And how do we make them happen? And so we were always looking at ways of continuing to improve that team camaraderie, that that sense of value and worth and purpose. And remember, 
we like to play the word I, right? So at one point, we used to tell people quietly, oh, you did such a great job. We're going to give you a $1,000 bonus, but you can't tell anybody. And we and I read this this book about carrots and realized that people want recognition. So what we did was we started having staff meetings where part of the staff meeting included recognition. So we're engineers, we're transportation. I found these little cars in, you know, the model cars that you buy with the little lid on top, you know, and we put a plaque on it and we called them iCars. So when a group of team finished a project and did really well, they got they got a car with a model and their name on it and the project and a little handwritten note by the senior project manager involved or the president or VP. And we would hand them out so people got that recognition. In fact, one of our staff members phoned his fiance at the time and said, hi, I got a car. What did you buy? No, 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 no. I got a car. I actually got two cars today. What? What do you mean? Like, did you, did you buy a car? No, 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 no. So he explained that he got, the, you know, recognition. He says, you called me for that? <laughs> and he proudly displayed these cars on his, in his workstation. And he had about three or four of them at, at some point. And people would just wear that as a sense of pride and those were good days when people really felt high and valued and and this recognition that we had for the staff in our organization just on that was there any jealousy that was expressed by people who weren't getting cars at a meeting you know it i'm sure there were some people and and some people would have difficulty hiding it but overall there was this sense of camaraderie I remember one of our staff members, uh, he was a project manager and he'd been there for about three months. And, you know, I, I'd go walk around and I would, you know, chat with people. And he, because he was fairly new, I would you know, check in. How How's it going? You know, are you getting used to being the project manager at company? And he said, yeah, things are going pretty good. You know, I can count on one hand. And so I was waiting for him to say the number of people that I really like in this company. And basically, he said, I can count on one hand the number of people that I'm, I really don't like in this company or they're not pulling their weight. I mean, there's so many people here that are dedicated and doing their job. And I, like, I, I heaved a sigh of relief, right? <laughs> I was like, just fine. And, and so I think this was the kind of company that we fostered and we, I lived and eat and breathed it every day trying to motivate and promote this kind of sense of belonging and engagement and I realized about we had some reunions some of our staff actually created these reunions it was on the third reunion that I realized I looked around the room there were 30 people and this is just in the Toronto office because we had 70 people maximum at the time 30 people came to this reunion and I looked around the room and I thought wow you know, these people are really nice people. And they kept talking about, there'll never be another eye trends. There'll never be another eye trends. And what I realized was that we had that mission, vision, and values, and we hired right. We hired ambassadors of the mission and vision and the values and treating people nice and making them feel like they're pro progressing well in their careers. And because we did that, 
and we just didn't do it by ourselves. We hired the right people that the first day somebody comes, they'll say something and they'll welcome them. I remember doing some interviews where people are sitting out at the front waiting and they said, how are you? And he's, oh yeah, you know, do you need a drink of, you know, water or something? No, no, everybody that came through, like to go to the bathroom kept saying, hi, how are you? Do you need a drink of water? And so they felt welcomed even as, as a candidate being interviewed. So that's the kind of people we had. We had ambassadors. So of course somebody might've felt jealous, but I think everybody was, they were nice people. We hired nice people. And then there were some not so nice and we'd have to talk to them quietly. <laughs> Maybe you could just go into that a little bit because while a lot of places do their best to be really fantastic workplaces, the sun doesn't shine every day. And so there can be some circumstances where people do need to, to have discussion with somebody. And I'm just wondering if you could describe what, when things didn't go so well, what that looked like. Okay. We believed in a sense of equality and we taught our staff to value who they were. We said, everybody's job is equally as important as somebody else's because we had to terminate somebody once uh, who was an admin person because she was not well, she did not do a good job. She was actually photocopying things backwards, upside down, and then putting them into a proposal. Well, that, when you see that as a company, you'd say, well, if you can't do that right, what, what can you do right? So everybody is responsible for making us successful or not successful. So equality was important. And so we really try to demystify this hierarchical approach. But there were some people, very senior people, who felt they deserved respect and whatever. And I've had to talk to somebody and said, no, we are all equally important. And I really want you to work on how you talk to people. You can't yell at people and tell them they have to do something this way. And you can't treat them as if you deserve it your way and not their way you know so so i remember having progressive discussions with that person um, and when you let people know you have an expectation and that you won't tolerate it and you follow through then you either see a change in behavior or sometimes you have to to do the tough thing and let people go there's a thing called values-based leadership and when you look at your values and you look at leadership if people aren't doing certain things, if I had a person who is double dipping on their expenses, that's not integrity. Why would I keep somebody around with integrity? And sometimes people are reluctant to keep people because, oh my God, if I let that person go, you know, they represent 20% of the sales of the company. We can't do that. Let them continue yelling at people because they make money. Well, that's not the way you should do business. And that it results in people leaving because that person has really made it, their lives miserable. So yeah, there, there are bad days and you have to, you have to deal with those. Wonderful. I know that we were going to talk a little bit about the us them gap, but I think you gave a fantastic example there of how you really wanted to make sure that everybody gave value to the company regardless of their role and that 
messaging, I think is beautiful to try to make sure that there isn't this bending to a hierarchy and making sure that you keep some kind of power structure in place. And, and I think that that us them gap is really, really a concern. Our company, it sounds like it's a wonderful journey and it was a wonderful journey. It has its bad points, but you all you have to deal with those. But one of the things we decided we thought, you know, we thought we had created a good company, our staff felt that they had created a good company. And we said, we'd like to see what that means out there. We'd love to see to get some recognition, not just how we feel as as staff and managers. So we put our names out there for the best workplaces in Canada. It's survey based. And that means the staff do a survey, the managers do the survey. And it's the best workplaces in Canada is run by the Great Work Institute. I think I got that right. And and it's international. Like there's 60 plus countries that have the best workplaces in anywhere, Canada, US, whatever. And what it is, is what they're looking for is the gap between the, that, that us and we. And those companies where the gap is lower become the best workplaces in Canada. And when we put our names out there, we were celebrating our 10th anniversary. That was an amazing year. We won our volleyball championship against many other engineering companies uh, in, in our areas. And, and we were finalists in our softball tournament as well. So it was a pretty good year. And we found out that we were number nine best workplaces in Canada. And what we did was uh, the second year, we went and did the survey again. But we, it came with this huge mega spreadsheet full of blue, yellow, reds, and green lights. The reds were not good. There were a couple of red ones that we had, and we addressed those. Number one is we did not have timely performance evaluations. Um, some of our managers took like six months later. But as a policy, my husband and I wanted to make sure people got their increases on time. So they didn't often know the connection or the disconnection between I got a compensation. Why did I get X percent, you know, 5% or why did I get 2% and six months later they would find out. So, so there was this honest feedback about the fact that it didn't make sense. So two things that we did in that next year was we made sure that interviews for their performances were done on a timely basis and the compensation didn't happen until after which would link it. And then it was retroactive back to their anniversary date. And we moved to number four in the second year. That is phenomenal. I think statistically that is significant. <laughs> that is amazing. So you had talked about being the, in volleyball and being on the, the softball and things. How did people's professional and personal life show up in your workplace? I think a lot of people were friends. A lot of people were colleagues. They saw each other socially. We had social events in our organization. It it was funny when we were 25, people started saying, well, we're not a family. You're not my family. And we said, okay, fine. You know, we're a team. And then somehow, someday, mysteriously, it became a family again. A lot of our staff had stayed around for a long time. Now they had families and we had barbecues and Christmas parties and, you know, Christmas party for the kids. So this sense of camaraderie was there. And you can't separate work from home because your home can sometimes affect people. And when you know that somebody, 
you know, child has been sick for a while, you kind of give a little bit. You can say, yeah, go home early if you need to go home early and stuff. So, so I think we were an organization that really recognized that kind of thing. And, and we recognized that there were people that were developing relationships with others. Uh, I don't think there were, I can't remember if there was any romantic relationships or not, but, but definitely people who, who saw each other on weekends, you know, families that saw each other on weekends. It was um, very interesting to see, but we did not, um, we did not certainly disallow that or anything. We encouraged and fostered people's sense of camaraderie and sense of belonging. And belonging is you as a person and you as a family. Wonderful. So sometimes people have to make decisions in their lives and they have to leave organizations that either they are happy to leave or dread leaving. I'm just wondering how you'd handled people leaving the company. Yeah, that's that's an interesting, interesting thing. I think we're talking about voluntary leaving, right? And when a person leaves, obviously when it's they're moving out of the country or or the city or whatever people can understand that it's when they move to a competitor it, that it's a little bit harder to to take right because you're, they're saying they're not happy and my husband and i kind of supported them uh, we would talk to them we would want to make sure that was the right decision and it was important transition was important so we would have some really good conversations with our staff in terms of trying to have a smooth transition. So our letters said that if you were in a role three weeks in order to provide continuity for clients, if you were a manager four weeks, and we would have that discussion to see, people don't always give that, but we would share with them that goodwill. Is there a way you can talk to your new employer to give you three weeks? Okay, I know you can't do four year project manager, but can you ask for three weeks? And we would say, the sign of a good company is you are important, we will wait for you. And when we hire people, we would do the same. We would say, we'd love you to start in two weeks if you can, but if you can't, we'll understand. But just ask, because you never know. So entry into the company, exit of the company, there was that fluidity, that conversation. Sometimes if we really wanted them, we would kind of try to say, what is it that you need? And we would try to match salary or something like that. My husband sometimes felt sad when people left and probably about eight to 10 years into our company, he realized I need to not personally feel they're leaving me or they're leaving my company. What I need to realize is that we all have personal lives, personal careers, and maybe what I need to do is I need to try private public sector because we were private sector. Maybe I need to try a different field and we don't offer that. And he said, and these people will be our clients. So we have to make that exit, you know, friendly. And it's a small world. The field is a small world. And someday they'll come back to us. And sure enough, some people have come back to us twice because <laughs> they go and some go for, okay, I'm going to, you know, Europe for two years, come back, work for us, and then they go off to public sector, come back. So, so that philosophy helped him feel better about the, the terminations. But, but we did not 
turn on them and ignore them. And, and I know that some companies do that. Well, you're useless to us, like forget you, you know, and, and that should not be the way. You need to communicate and continue to create relationships. Because as my husband said, sometimes those people will be a client of ours or not because, oh, we shouldn't go with that company. They're no good, right? Because you, you felt slighted by the company you left. So you're not going to do business with them ever again. It sounds as though it was just a wonderful experience, Hilda, having that iTrans company. How has that affected what you're doing now and how your experience at iTrans informs it? iTrans was a dream uh, come true. Both of us had been in, in the working world and we wanted to be certain kinds of managers. And, and so we get to start fresh. Wouldn't it be nice to create a place where people love what they do and they feel like they're progressing in their career and then love the people they're working with and the best workplaces in Canada brought that to us. I just remember thinking, wow, what an experience. And when we had that third reunion and people said, there'll never be another iTrans. I was actually going through a, a place that was not a healthy work environment for me. And I knew I always said, love what you do, love where you work. And they looked at me like a parent who has more than one child looks at a mother who's a newborn. Silly girl, don't you know, there'll never be another iTrans. <laughs> and that's when the epiphany is, wow, we created these ambassadors. So when we sold the company, my husband's still with our the company that acquired us. I stayed on for about four more years. But then I thought, this is not what I want to do. I wasn't progressing in my career because overnight there was a real estate department. There was a legal department. <laughs> there was a hiring team. So all those things that I had my hands in doing, I didn't have them anymore. And I felt more like a middle manager in the last year. Um, I was part of the integration, which was amazing. But by the third, fourth year, I was feeling more like a middle manager. So I did a few things. I started my own company for a bit, and then I worked for a company as an HR director. And then it dawned on me that I really am an entrepreneur, and I really would love to impact other companies, as many other companies as I can, to create a healthy, strong workplace. Because I know it can be done, and I did that when I was a manager, director in nursing, but I also did that for this company. And what I realized was, well, how do you package that? How do you explain to people what we did? And the epiphany came to me, the concept of rev up. Rev up your potential. That's what we did to ourselves. We helped them to kick it up a notch, right? I guess I'm using the car analogy still. We, I revved up potential in the company in hindsight. Couldn't have told you that while I was in the weeds working there. But rev up is not just about revving up. REVUP is an acronym for the values that we had at iTrans. And those values are treat people with R, respect. Look at them as equals, which I already talked about that, equal as any other job. Value who they are, those I-cars that we did and other things. And then what I feel is the secret sauce of this is uniqueness. Look at each person as an individual. We had a robust mentoring program at our company. Everybody had a mentor 
that mentor was to help guide them, hear what they were interested in doing, help foster that growth, and to keep them moving in a career path that was gratifying both for the company and for themselves. And then when you see the uniqueness in people and tap into that potential, imagine what you can do. So I started my company, People Bright Consulting, five years ago. And I had this rev up concept in my brain, but I was so focused on building my business of helping people with the strategic part, the recruiting cycle, the policies and procedures and compliance and, and some training. I kept the secret of rev up to myself until I was ready to start helping leaders, managers, business owners learn how to rev up their team, rev up their potential. and in order to identify what is uniqueness, we're all unique. I think of Mr. Rogers and he says, you're wonderful, you're unique. we're all unique in our own ways, but I can't sell that. That's just, that's very qualitative, not quantitative. So I embrace the concept of fascination. It's a tool similar to Myers-Briggs DISC, but it is done from not how you see the world, but how the world sees you. And when you own your, well, I'll call your superpowers. We all have languages that we can speak in. There's seven languages, like the power of decision-making or out-of-the-box thinking or, or the people people. And when you own those superpowers, you speak with confidence. And when you speak with confidence, you build trust. So what I do is I train people to look at RevUp approach and find their uniqueness, what fascinates others in them, and build their confidence to help motivate and uplift their teams. So that's what I'm up to nowadays. I take the lessons learned from that beautiful journey I had with iTrans, and I'm on a mission to help other people learn how to create a healthy, strong, positive workplace, because I know it can be done. Hilda, this has been a fantastic conversation. Is there anything that I didn't ask you, but I should have, to learn about how to get such a revved up workplace? I I would say that I, I'm a people person, but that's not one of my superpowers. That's my third power. <laughs> um, my people powers are always continuously improving and being able to make decisions, but people is one of those. What I want to do is... I want to help people. So feel free to visit my website and contact me. Schedule yourself for a 45-minute conversation because we can talk about things because I know we're all unique. And whenever I talk to somebody, I find something in them that will inspire me and maybe something I say will inspire them. And I really truly want to help people either build their better business, build their better selves, help them fascinate the world. So I encourage people to take me up on having that conversation. Wonderful, Hilda. So what did you think? Isn't Hilda amazing? I love how she talked about how important vision is and values that she had, the triple eyes that she had in guiding hiring practices, as well as the decorum in the business. That was so wonderful to hear. Also, I loved the story of how one guy phoned his fiance and was so excited about winning some cars from this automotive company. <laughs> that's, uh, that's just wonderful how they recognized people. 
I also want to highlight how they really let people go with respect, even if they wanted to work for a competitor, because you never know, they might be a future client, they might actually come back to you. So you need to be able to set up the relationship as an ongoing thing. I just love that. Also, when they applied for the best workplaces recognition and they got their feedback and they were doing very well, yet they looked at their feedback and using that data, they went out to improve and they did, which is exactly what this is supposed to be about. Then she also talked about how friendships flourished in the business that there were barbecues and people saw each other in evenings and weekends and it was just a wonderful, wonderful camaraderie that they had in the workplace. When she said it was a dream come true, I just thought, man, was it ever. So thanks a lot for listening and I hope you'll be able to join us on another episode of What Good Looks Like because I really think these are super exciting. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for listening to Beyond the Minimum with Tanya Hewitt. We hope this episode aligned with you. Maybe it was diametrically opposed to you, but at any rate, we trust it made you think. The more we can think about our workplaces and start talking about them, the more we can collectively make a real difference. If you're living in Canada, please find out the Indigenous territory in which you reside begin using it to introduce yourself. Please reach out to Tanya through her email, tanya at beyondsafetycompliance.ca. Connect and chat with her on LinkedIn. Follow her company, Beyond Safety Compliance. And remember to ask yourself the question, how does your work look? Because we can always go beyond the minimum. <laughs>